Remembering Bobby. I'm Kenny Bergamy. This podcast is about the life and legacy of our friend, Bobby Pope. When you think of sports middle Georgia, chances are Bobby Pope is the name you think of first, at least I do. Bobby was involved in sports during six different decades in Macon. Radio and television broadcaster, Mercer University athletic director, weekly column in the Telegraph, the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame, the Macon Touchdown Club, Bobby did it all. In an interview for a News Talk 940 radio anniversary special in 2000, Bobby talked about his first job in Macon in 1964. I more or less started out in news with a new sports combo because I can remember when uh, Roscoe Henson, the uh, police detective that got killed uh, in the police department, and I, I was uh, the young kid, 19 or 20 years old, that uh, when they uh, got his uh, murderer, that I did the report, and I'll never forget it. I, 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 forget, I was so nervous that I forgot uh, the man's name that had shot Roscoe Henson. I worked with Bob Savage on uh, high school football. I worked with Jimmy Lee on high school football. I did a lot of state high school basketball tournaments uh, just about uh, everywhere. I, I can remember... Uh, traveling with uh, Central High School, I guess it was in 1974-75, actually rode the bus with them to go to their state tournament games. Started Mercer basketball as, uh, when we started in 1970. Uh, actually was the first voice of the Bears, per se, I guess you would say, on, on radio broadcast. Uh, I'm Jim McLendon, and I had the opportunity and pleasure to work with Bobby back in the 70s when I started in radio sales at WMAZ AM 940 and 99 Ways Radio. Bobby was in the sports department then, and we, we quickly became good friends. Bobby was quite an entrepreneur. He, he brought uh, AM 940 into the limelight with all the sports coverage he did, uh, starting with, with Mercer Basketball. Uh, he would make sales calls with the sales staff, uh, which was at that time just me and Don McGurk, who later became general manager of TV 13. But uh, Bobby and I would make sales calls, and he had the knack of making the client just feel like this is something I've absolutely got to be a part of because this is going to be the end thing, whether it's a basketball game or the or the uh, Saturday scoreboard, which he was uh, extremely popular with. When we started the uh, Saturday scoreboard, Bobby made the first sales call with me, and that was uh, sold actually to Home Federal Savings Loan. They were the sole sponsor for a couple of years with it, and then we expanded that uh, and allowed other clients to get involved with it. But Bobby put the clients at ease with it. He told them the value of it. Uh, basically, all I had to do was just sign the order. Uh, he, he did all the work for me, which was really great. But uh, everybody in middle Georgia and then later on throughout the state knew who Bobby Pope was. And he was a hard worker, uh, uh, probably the truest of, of friends anyone could ever have person of integrity. Uh, he was always very objective. He didn't, he didn't slant a story on sports uh, in favor or opposed to any side. He always just gave the facts. George Jobin recalls when he first met Bobby Pope. I was uh, doing the nighttime radio show on AM 940, and uh, we had to record Bobby's sports report for radio every night when I on my shift. And that's the first time I ever, you know, the first time I had communication with Bobby was when I was doing radio and he would feed us his sports reports. You could tell he was a good guy. Not long after that, George became part of the 6 and 11 o'clock news team that also included Bobby and Bill Buckley on television. I went to TV in the summer of 74 and I did weekend news with 
Ron Wildman doing the sport. And then in 75, I think January of 75, uh, Albert Sanders decided it was time to make the news team younger. Bobby brought in Buckley. Billy had been with uh, the Make It Whoopi and was currently writing the telegraph. But Bobby brought Buckley in, and Bill and Bobby and I, uh, we spent three years because it was 77 when I started doing uh, work myself when Bobby went to sales. George Jobin had some pretty big shoes to fill when he took over from Bobby as sports director at WMAZ. Bobby really covered what was happening. He he knew everybody. He, he you know he had a, a wide array of people that he knew, and that helped him uh, be the, the the most efficient sports guy ever. I had to follow that, and I knew I couldn't do it the way Bobby did. So I I pretty much covered sports, shot video. I knew following Bobby, I, I couldn't. I couldn't do what Bobby did. I just tried to do the best I could. I, I, I did okay. George also followed Bobby as the radio voice of the Mercer Bears men's basketball team. Actually, the first time I did a Mercer game was the night uh, Bobby's wife had uh, Andy, which was I was still doing news then. And Bobby said, "Hey, how about doing the game for me tonight so I can be with Carol uh, while Andy's being born?" So I did my first play-by-play probably in '76 when I was still a news guy. And then as soon as I became the sports guy, I inherited uh, the Mercer play-by-play and, uh, you know, high school play-by-play when that was necessary. Uh, yeah, that was uh, followed by the follow Bobby on the play-by-play too, and he was good at that. And speaking of Mercer basketball, Bobby often told the story of the game that he called, but he never actually saw. We did a game at uh, Georgia State. This was a Mercer game in 1974, I think it was. And the Phone lines were out there in the building. They had a pay phone out in the hall. And I actually did a play-by-play of our Georgia State Mercer game from the hall. Never saw a play of it. Billy Sowell, our engineer, was standing at the doorway, and he would yell down to me, you know, Harden, two points. And I, I fabricated the whole game as we went and got through it. Mercer won by about 30, so you didn't miss a lot. But... I fabricated the whole basketball game, actually never seeing one play of that game. My name is Jim Jones, and I had the great opportunity to work at WMAZ Radio for many years. And uh, I first came in contact with Bobby Pope. uh, Actually, a little before I started working there, I was uh, headed home from Channel 41, And uh, going 75 north, getting ready to get off at the Pierce Avenue exit, uh, and the the, the traffic had bottlenecked. And so I slowed down, and next thing you know, bam, somebody hit me from behind. (laughs) So I got out of the car and and looked, and it was Bobby Pope. And he came up to me and asked me if I was okay, and I said yes, and he introduced himself. Of course, he didn't have to because I knew exactly who he was as— I had uh, watched him for many years on Channel 13, so it was uh, an honor to meet Bobby, uh, even though the circumstances weren't the greatest. But um, little did I realize, just a few months later, I would uh, come on board to um, to work full-time with uh, AM 940 WMAZ, and it was a, a lot of fun. Always stayed in touch with Bobby, uh, in particular through the Making Touchdown Club, and he was always very encouraging. Uh, with me and uh, Jim Fain uh, in particular when we were uh, doing our uh, sports show and always tried to do something from the Making Touchdown Club on Monday nights and 
It was hard to get into the Macon Touchdown Club back in the day. It was uh, 350, 375 people, and uh, there was a waiting list to get in. And I remember going down to Bobby's office when he was in sales for Channel 13, and and I asked him, I said, Bobby, we know we're doing a sports show, and you know, how do I get into the Touchdown Club? <laughs> and I remember him standing up and just having this little grin on his face. He says, Jimmy, Jimmy, you're a member of the media now, so just come on in. Get you some dinner, and I'll show you around. Well, he did. Introduced me to some wonderful people. Elmo Richardson is one, and and, and several others that were uh, mainstays with the Macon Touchdown Club. And uh, he always made sure we had the interviews, always made sure we got on the air, and was just always uh, a great friend and, and just a, a wonderful, wonderful man. And Bobby will certainly, certainly be missed. No matter how many other hats he was wearing at the time, Bobby was always one of the Macon Touchdown Club's most active members. Here's Jim McLendon. The Macon Touchdown Club was club was really on a par with the Atlanta Touchdown Club, um, even though there's a, a world of difference in the size of the cities. Bobby always had the connections to, to get not the assistant coach or the trainer or whatever, but the head coach of virtually every Southeastern Conference football team and a lot of the ACC teams as well. Uh, the Macon Touchdown Club had great speakers for years and years, and Bobby was the uh, the impetus behind that. He's the one that made the connections and, and uh, thoroughly enjoyed doing that. Bobby Pope holds the record for the longest-running radio show in Middle Georgia history. Did you know that? Remember Saturday afternoons? The Saturday scoreboard. It ran for 39 football seasons. I had heard a similar type broadcast somewhere, and I don't even remember where it was, and I just thought, hey, this will work on radio for us. And so I go to Albert Sanders and say, Albert, I, I think this is something that would really work, and, and I would be willing to, to do this show each Saturday after the Georgia games. And That was before ESPN where you couldn't get all the scores, and you know, I was on for... I think uh, two hours after every Georgia game. Then Georgia played at one o'clock, and you knew at four o'clock I was going to be on the air from four to six. Well, now it's so because of television, you know, you have to kind of work it around because of the television schedule first and foremost. But back in those days, it was the Budweiser scoreboard, and I think it was. I remember going to Win Stewart and Otis Hughes, who was a sales manager at that particular time. We didn't even have a price uh, that we wanted to ask for the show. When we went in, a price just hit me in the head, and I set it right off the top of my head, and he bought it. When the state high school basketball tournaments came to Macon, Bobby seized that opportunity to freelance, and he set up his own radio network. But when I first came, all the state tournaments uh, were played in the city auditorium right across the street from our office. So, I mean, I spent many a day and night uh, in that auditorium going to basketball games. And, you know, here I was uh, getting paid, uh, as a kid, basically, to do something I love, to, to watch uh, sporting events. You know, I, I never thought I had a job. You know, I, I mean, it was, it was always fun. They paid me. I had a good time. Lived at the YMCA for my first year here. Freelancing basketball games at the Macon Centriplex or Coliseum, I've actually done eight games in one day at the Coliseum when the state high school tournaments were there, starting at 12 noon and going all the way to the last game. I couldn't even talk when it was all over for $25 a game. During the years Bobby was sports director at WMAZ, one of his jobs was to cover the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta for both radio and television. I guess I covered the Masters from probably 1965 up until 
almost 1980, I guess, 81, 82, I'd go over there on Tuesday or Wednesday and, uh, and live at the Masters. You know, I had the, oh gosh, it was great, especially that first couple of years. And then it became, you know, you knew you had to go over there on Tuesday. You didn't get back till Sunday or Monday. And uh, boy, it, it got to be a grind because not only was I feeding them, I was using my freelance. I was feeding other stations. So I was on the phone virtually uh, eight hours a day calling other radio stations because I was trying to freelance and make a little money. And this Masters Bobby Pope story from George Jobin. When Bobby was covering the Masters, I think it might have been his last year, we had a, a motel we all stayed, or he had a motel he all stayed in. I took over the motel after Bobby. It was the Neil Cokentite's value in or something like that on the Gordon Highway. Bobby knew everybody, and he was covering the Masters, and he ran into Jerry Glanville, who was then a uh, assistant at Georgia Tech, and Glanville said uh, he had tickets, but he didn't have any place to stay, and Bobby said, well, you could stay, you could stay in my room with me, and a little while later, Glanville brought Norm Van Brocklin over. Van Brocklin had been the head coach of the Falcons. Bobby, uh, Told Dan Brock that he could stay there too. And then Happy Howard, Bobby was uh, pretty tight with Happy Howard. Happy was there at the Masters too, and he needed a place to stay, so he stayed with Bobby. And then there was a sports writer, I can't remember his name, but he was from the uh, Atlanta Journal, and he wasn't really covering the Masters. He was just there to watch it, and he didn't have a place to stay. So Bobby had four really diverse people in the hotel room with him for the uh, week of the Masters because there weren't as many places to stay back. I can't believe Van Brocklin couldn't find a place. Bobby had all those people in the hotel room with him, and he said it was a madhouse. I mean, there was one bed, and people were sleeping on the floor, on the couch, in a chair. And I, and I just I love that story because, because of the, the people that Bobby knew that were important people that stayed in that hotel room with him. The Masters, football, basketball, baseball, there were other sports that you don't even associate with radio broadcast. Yeah, we did uh, even a, a broadcast on radio of the Macon International Tennis Tournament when it came here in the uh, late 1960s and was played at Wesleyan College. And we had, uh, and that was before this, uh, I guess the Coliseum was built. And I think the first round was, or the first year was played at uh, inside at Wesleyan College. And we did that on radio, if you can imagine broadcasting tennis on radio. And I can remember feeding uh, so many different stations when we had the uh, the tennis tournament here uh, from Macon. I fed CBS, you know, Bobby Pope was on CBS radio and that was unbelievable to me. Bobby left broadcasting as a full-time occupation in 1985 and he went to work in development for Mercer University, while also filling the role as Mercer Sports Information Director. He became Athletic Director at Mercer in 1989, a position he held for 21 years. I'm Tom Abbott. I was a student at Mercer from 2000 to 2004. I played on a golf scholarship, came over from England. Bobby Pope was the Athletic Director at Mercer when I came over as a freshman to begin my schooling. I was recruited by a lady named Trell McCombs. She was Trell Kite in those days. Um, she was the director of golf for both the men's and women's golf programs at Mercer. She was coaching both teams and she 
um, offered me a scholarship. So I came over and Bobby Pope, as the athletic director, would have signed off on uh, the scholarship being offered to me. So in an indirect way, Bobby was responsible for me starting my journey in the U.S. After I graduated, I started to work in media and television and uh, I've been a broadcaster for Golf Channel and NBC Sports for the past 15 years. Even with championship teams, upgraded facilities, and improved financial support, Bobby Pope was always more about helping Mercer's student-athletes. When I first came to Mercer, I had lofty aspirations of being able to make a living from playing golf. And so schooling was really secondary for me. I concentrated on golf and very quickly I learned that that was not the right decision, that my golf was not going to be able to carry me through. And it also coincided with me finding a love of media and television. And so Bobby was very accommodating for me. He allowed me to continue on my scholarship, but at the same time to transition into a role where I was helping the athletic department with media, really learning on the job and being able to provide media coverage for the sports teams that they didn't necessarily have before. And so the experience that I gained being around the athletic department, working in sports information and media was invaluable when I came to, to getting a job. And uh, I have Bobby to thank for, for allowing me to do that. If I had just stayed on the golf team, struggling away as a, as a struggling student athlete, uh, I would have had four years of being a student athlete, but I wouldn't have been able to gain the experience that I did for the last two years working for the athletic department rather than playing for the athletic department. Bobby was always very supportive of any of the ideas that I brought to the table in ways that we could promote the athletic department and provide media coverage. I think we did a coaches show. We did some coverage of soccer that we would tape the games and, and put those games on the student channels. Um, the same for basketball. I was on the road traveling with teams and getting highlights and film of games. And so those were all things that Bobby was um, supportive of. There were never any barriers in the way. He would offer advice if I wanted it. But uh, it was it was a perfect scenario for me. And it was a system that really helped me develop as a broadcaster and uh, let me learn by getting my hands dirty. He did care a great deal for the student athletes and for Mercer University. And it was a transitional time to bring the school into... Uh, a different era. Um, and if you look now at, at what Mercer has achieved in its athletic department and the facilities that, that are on offer, a lot of that groundwork was done by Bobby. And I think he was very proud of, uh, of the department and what they were able to achieve. I remember some of the uh, banquets and the dinners that he would organize for student athletes. And I remember he brought Phil Walden in to speak to all the athletes. And at the time, I didn't really know much about him but now when you look back and you see what Capricorn Records had achieved and uh, their impact on the, the music industry and what Phil Walden did to, with the music industry and, and you know and Bobby was able to just call him up and say could you come down and, and speak to the the athletes and um, that's a pretty pretty cool moment to, to, have, to have sat there and, and listened to him and uh, and his advice on, on do's and don'ts as you go through your life. And so I think Bobby had a, a, you know, a great 
passion for for athletics but also he had great compassion for his his students and he knew that building people's lives and putting the right building blocks in place for for the student athletes was way more important than than their their ability on the field but of course it was the uh, it was their sporting ability that got them to where they were but the majority of people who came to Mercer they weren't going to to be professional athletes so they could gain a lot from playing sports but you know the important thing was to was to build uh, quality people and i think he he built a lot of them um through that uh, athletic department in his his tenure at Mercer whether it was signing up sponsors for the radio show the saturday scoreboard or fundraising for Mercer Athletics, Bobby was always a great salesman. At Mercer baseball games, uh, Clark Smith Field wasn't much of a, a fancy ballpark then. And one day, Joey Galloway came. Joey had been a number one draft choice that year and had just signed like a $6 million contract. And he came down to Mercer to watch one of his Ohio friends uh, play baseball with Mercer. And, of course, Bobby always taking the opportunity to try to do something. He... Uh, he with Joey and I was watching him and he said, look, uh, Joey, uh, you see this field needs a lot of work and Bobby made a gesture toward the outfield and he said, Joey, can't you just see the Joey Galloway lights? Then Galloway up for $60,000 for lights. That was a, a great moment. Of course, Joey didn't buy the lights. Uh, Mercy University at that time, uh, they had the, a very popular event called the Mercer Big Dance and we had a lot of name uh, artists there, uh, re- recording artists that, that were the primary uh, draw, the, the the big headliner for the concert. And I worked with Bobby very close on that because at that time, I started out as sales manager for 99 Ways uh, in, in WMSEAM FM radio. And then we uh, eventually became general manager of the radio station and we partnered with them. It was a good event for us. It matched our format, got a lot of exposure. And quite often it was a sellout with uh, five or six hundred tables sold and a large crowd. The, the capacity at the uh, Coliseum was about 2,000 people with tables. And most years we had pretty close to that. But it was just a joy working with Bobby. He and I would bounce off ideas of who, was, who should be the uh, headline entertainer. Uh, later I, I formed my own band called the Grapevine Band. And uh, we were pleased to open for a lot of the real for the real bands. We always felt good about that because we were on a big stage with big equipment, and we almost felt like we were a real band at that time. But uh, Bobby helped get us started, and we got started in 1989, and we're still going strong. The Mercy Big Dance started out as a fundraiser for the development office and transitioned into a fundraiser for the athletic department. And they made a lot of money. It's, it's interesting that the, um, the year they made the most money was when... Um, they had the Four Tots, which were a great group in the 60s and early 70s. And Levi Stubbs, who was the primary uh, leader of, of the Four Tops, became ill the afternoon of the concert. So Bobby didn't have to pay them. But very few people asked for a refund on the tickets because it was always such a, a fun event. And it always went to a great cause, the Mercer Athletic Department. Bobby's last job was at the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. Jim McLendon is the executive director of that facility. And um, ran into Bobby one day and he said, uh, we need some help at the Hall of Fame on this project. For It was like a 30-day project. And I quickly volunteered. It, it, so Bobby and I would, would remain friends all these years, but we got even closer during that time. 
that was in 2011, 2012, when we started really working it, it, with the uh, Georgia Sports Hall of Fame. And i uh, been working ever since with him on that. He, he's just a, a joy to work with. He's well-known, not just throughout the state anymore, but throughout the southeast. Uh, it's hardly a place you can go in sports circles that you mention the name Bobby Pope, and people always know who, who he is. Uh, Emily Myers from Aiken is the chair of the Sports Hall of Fame Authority, and Bobby is her right-hand person. So as I've become more involved with the Sports Hall of Fame over the years, uh, I've relied on Bobby a lot for his wise counsel. Induction in any Hall of Fame is an honor. Bobby Pope is an inductee, count them, five Halls of Fame. The Macon Sports Hall of Fame in 2006, the Mercer Athletics Hall of Fame in 2010, the Georgia Radio Hall of Fame in 2016, the Boys and Girls Clubs Hall of Fame in 2017, and the Georgia Sports Hall of Fame earlier this year. Bobby had been nominated numerous times over the years to be inducted in the Sports Hall of Fame, and he, he always said, I, you know, I don't feel right being inducted as long as I'm involved with it. We were finally able to talk him into agree to be nominated again and, and, and selected for induction this past year. So he was in the class of 2020. He was inducted in February of this year. We sold more tables in support of Bobby than we've sold for any of the major athletes in, in, in years. And uh, people heard that he was being inducted, and, and I got phone calls every day saying, I heard Bobby's going to be inducted in February. How would I get tickets? How can I come support him? He had people not just from middle Georgia but from all over the state supporting him. It was, he was uh, overwhelmed with it, and, and we were too. I'm just so pleased that we were able to do that while he could still enjoy it. I got to know Bobby hosting the radio show on WMAC from 1995 to 2007. Bobby was always professional, always on time, and would usually deliver a two- or three-minute sportscast every morning. A consultant came in, and you know consultants, and they've got to change things. They told us that Bobby had to do a minute or less of sports. Well, you know, Bobby, that wasn't easy, but he did accommodate. Bobby was always professional, and he loved radio. I go back and and think about all the great people that have worked at that station. Uh, it's just got so many memories. And you know, I'm, no matter what I do, I've always got uh, MAZ or MAC now in my blood. It's just part of me. And uh, it has meant so much to me from my professional life in what I'm doing today. I've been doing radio of some sort for, uh, since I was 13 years old. I was doing Little League baseball games when I was 13 in my hometown of Thomaston, Georgia. And I still have that uh, competitive instinct about me. I like to break stories. It was always back when I was uh, doing sports for MAC radio and, or MAZ radio at that time and television. Uh, my biggest uh, desire was to make sure that if the headline was in the Macon Telegraph the next morning that I had broken it the day before. There's something about it. Uh, you know, maybe it's an ego thing. I don't know what it is, but you get radio in your blood, and, and I will say this, I much prefer radio than I do television from a broadcast standpoint. Thanks for being a part of this special podcast about the life and legacy of our friend, Bobby Pope. Remembering Bobby, I'm Kenny Bergamy. Productions. Copyright 2020. All rights reserved.